This is Chattanooga Civics. I'm Nathan Bird. The City of Chattanooga regularly works with nonprofit organizations to consult and provide services on projects that are outside the city's usual scope. One such nonprofit is the Chattanooga Design Studio, an urban design group seeking to enhance Chattanooga's quality of life by educating the community about, advocating for, and facilitating excellent urban design. My name is Eric Myers. I'm the executive director at the Chattanooga Design Studio. So tell us a little bit more about the Chattanooga Design Studio. What is y'all's mission and how is it set up and what kind of projects are y'all working on? We're a local uh, urban design nonprofit and our mission is to facilitate and educate about and advocate for high quality urban design in our community that improves the quality of life of everyone. And we really do that if you think about the verbs that are in that mission statement, and we do that in three ways. You can think about the work that happens here on a day-to-day -day basis by facilitate. The professionals that work here wake up every day and think about um, you can, uh, research and development, if you will, about how we can build smarter and build our city more inclusively and, and help build our city more collectively uh, with everyone uh, in, in the city. We advocate for high quality urban design because urban design thinking really includes everything from building face to building face. It's the parks, it's the plazas, the streets, the squares, uh, the city's living room, if you will. It's the spaces that we all share. And so it's important that those spaces and the built environment in, in our public realm is reflective of our community's values. Mm -hmm. And it's inclusive of everyone, not just vehicles, not just bikes, not just pedestrians, but everyone. It accommodates everyone's needs and everyone's experiences. And then we educate. Uh, we educate our community about the importance of, of urban design and how we can be doing that better. And, and um, we bring practitioners from across the country to our community through a program called Civic, with a Q, uh, to um, help share uh, institutional knowledge about what's going on around the country or what's going on around the world about urban design that mm -hmm. we might be able to spark our interest and, um, and engage ourselves in think of, thinking about our work here and how it might be influenced by uh, other aspirations. Great, and so what is the relationship like between the city of Chattanooga and the Chattanooga Design Studio? Is it kind of an ongoing partnership or is it an official relationship? What does that look like? We have ongoing partnerships that um, that help build and improve our city. For instance, uh, we had a partnership over the past couple of years between the River City Company, the City of Chattanooga, and the Chattanooga Design Studio to improve Patton Parkway. Mm -hmm. um, and that was ongoing for several years during design and construction um, to think about the quality of materials, et cetera, et cetera, um, the layout of the space. Uh, and working with merchants and, and um, property owners in the, in the area. Um, we have a formal relationship in that the city uh, provides us with a financial operating uh, agency support to be able to be an urban design consultancy to the city in so many forms, whether it be the planning department, the economic community development department, or the transportation department, or the public works department. Uh, we find ourselves um, working heavily with uh, folks on a first-name basis mm -hmm. <laughs> um, in those departments to um, help envision um, improvements to our community and help with community engagement. Right. So just to clarify, uh, so there's there's kind of the main projects that you're all focusing on, but then you also have this kind of ongoing consulting relationship. Just whenever they have a question, they can come to you and you know, get your input. Is that exactly okay? Exactly. Great. Um, and so you so you mentioned Patton Parkway. I, I've got a couple different projects that I've read about from the Chattanooga Design Studio that I, I'd like to get to. But you already mentioned Patton Parkway, so let's you know talk about that for a minute. And uh, what was the impetus for the project for the redesign of Patton Parkway? And how did the Chattanooga Design Studio fit into that project? And how's it going? The impetus for Patton Parkway came out of a 2015 plan that was created by my predecessor here at the Chattanooga Design Studio, Christian Rushing. Christian was a planner um, and a trained architect that 
um, led that study, and the study um, had broad citizen input. And one of the things that was really identified in that study is that Miller Park and Patton Parkway are two very, very signature public spaces in the core of our town, and they really can benefit everyone. They could benefit a wide range of experiences from a day-to-day experience as a cafe spilling out onto the, um, the space or uh, for events. And so they were identified for improvements way back in 2015. Mm-hmm. And um, Miller Park had, by the time um, that I came to the studio in 2017, Miller Park had progressed into the latter stages of design, was getting ready for construction. And we had really kind of put Patton Parkway on a, on a heavy pause. Um, there was some really um, ne- necessary need uh, for looking at how the public space is distrib- distributed across the Patton Parkway. Right. Because the distribution of that space, if you remember, um, was um, kind of, I would say, duplicative for the cars. Right. Duplicative for parked cars and moving cars. There was uh, the, that classic um, median mm-hmm. in the center, the landscape median, that we found out when we started talking with folks uh, heavily that no one really went there, no one felt comfortable in that space, um, and that was undervalued. And, we, we actually found um, in that space and um, discovered and declared that um, it needed a better home and needed a more dignified home. A World War II memorial was uh, 600 names of Hamilton County residents that paid the ultimate price in World War II. Um, but it was, a, it was unfortunately located in a space in the 50s that um, really wasn't a space that you want to hang out in and, and, and linger in. And so. Um, ultimately, what we described was that that space could be more beneficial to people if it nestled itself, the public space is nestled itself up to the buildings, which mm-hmm. actually provide the energy and the life um, to that space. And so we kind of turned the space inside out, if mm-hmm. you will, um, and created much wider verges and much more w- walking space uh, on the edges of the building and put the cars in the center in the space. Right. It's sort of intuitive. And it all kind of blends together, too. I mean, I was walking out there the other day, and, you know, there's definitely a lot of potential, and I'm sure this was intentional to blend the spaces together so that you could shut the street down and, you know, turn it into a more plaza feel. But there's no curbs or anything. You're not stepping over a curb when you get out of your car. So you just kind of, you know, if you're a pedestrian going from one side to the other, you just stroll across. It's not right. like you're looking for a curb cut or if you're pushing a stroller, you don't have a ramp to, right. to navigate. That's right. And um, in, in many respects, that's a lot more relaxed and, mm-hmm. of a space. And um, it, it, it sort of forces you as a motorist to kind of slow down a little bit if, if there might be, you know, friction right. uh, in, in that space. Um, and it also recalls uh, one of the most important things is that the tree canopy and the arrangement of that space recalls its historical formation, which was actually Chattanooga's first open air um, building as a marketplace, oh, wow. um, which was built in the early 1900s um, by Adolph Ox. And um, that space, um, as a market square fronting Georgia Avenue, was highly active at, at that time. And so the trees. Their formation, their canopy are all recalling that history of that space and mm-hmm. its structure. Great. And so just kind of to walk us through the more technical side of it, uh, I, who owns Patton Parkway? Is it still city right-of-way or is it a, a you know privately held park? Like, I, I'm, Correct me if I'm wrong, Miller Plaza, or at least the pavilion, is owned by River City Company, correct? That's correct. And then Patton Parkway, is that a similar arrangement where it's privately held or is it public right-of-way that y'all were hired to work on? Patton Parkway is a public right-of-way. Okay, So Great. it functions right now like a public square, true public right. square. Right, right. So how does that work uh, just through the design process? When were you all brought in, I guess, by the city since the city owns it? Uh at what part of the process? Have you all been there from the beginning, putting together that input plan that you talked about that it was based off of, or were you brought in later to consult on this more specific design? That's an excellent question. So um, we asked the Burke administration, um, when, we, when we had an understanding that Miller Park um, had its uh, primary components set in motion and that a, a project budget was classified for the project and it, it, it all appearances that Miller Park was going to happen. We, we asked Mayor Burke and we asked his staff um, the question about restarting Patton Parkway. Um, it had been put on hold 
as I mentioned before, due to some, um, maybe some, some just kind of not understanding of how that space should be divided in the future. And so we made the offer to the Burke administration that we would begin the public engagement portion. And so we stepped out first really with, with River City Company to set up meetings one-on-one -on -one with each property owner that touched the parkway. And that was how we started that process, which was just sort of a fact-finding mission. It's like, what do you do in the parkway today? How are you using the parkway? How could the parkway better benefit you tomorrow? Mm -hmm. Just those very simple questions. And then we started public engagement with the merchants. Um, and so we stepped out first, really, and then um, we took all of that data, um, shared that with the Department of Transportation, the Public Works Department, and just sort of said, so what does this mean for um, the process as, as we move along? And, and I think our entire team, River City Company City and the Chattanooga Design Studio, felt like we needed uh, an independent professional design team. And so um, we went out and engaged uh, ASA Engineering and um, WMWA Landscape Engineering. And they had um, indefinite delivery co quantity contracts with the city of Chattanooga that allowed them to start that first phase of the work mm -hmm. of the, the first bit of schematic design about, um, you know, you, we could do this option, which is basically uh, renovate and uh, reestablish the parkway with a median. Mm -hmm. um, we could take the median out, put all the parking in the center, or we could do a hybrid of those. And so we explored all of those again, then took that back through the community engagement process and just gauged everyone's temperature on right. really how that space should be allocated to best benefit everyone um, and ultimately you see what we came up with. We right. just kind of yeah. stepped along, stepped along, stepped along um, each way through the process to make sure that everyone was in full, full uh, communication, understood what we were exploring, and that those explorations made sense to them, and the values that we hoped to achieve at the end of the project made sense to them. Um, and, and yeah, um, ultimately, it took a long time. Construction took quite a bit of time because it happened during COVID, and we mm -hmm. had a lot, of, a lot of construction delays due to right. material supplies, et cetera. Right. Um, anytime you work in a space that's over 100 years old, you're going to hit um, all <laughs> kinds of historic uh, assets that have been paved over or um, just just kind of buried over time. And right. And that, that kind of thing happened as well. So. And that uh, World War II memorial, is that still there? Was it relocated on site or was it put in another site? Excellent question. So during the process, the uh, design team uh, required in the specifications that the um, the memorial be deconstructed according to uh, national park standards and historic preserva preservation standards and so it's created and boxed and stored at the city of chattanooga right now and there is a group of uh, veterans that meet on a regular basis and they have been over the past two years um, doing the same type of public engagement with veterans and also uh, with the, with the public at large mm -hmm. um, at several events downtown and um, uh, just showing up and asking um, do you think this site is the best site for the memorial to be relocated, or do you think this site is? And they're also doing extensive research to find other military memorials that have been uh, either located at the airport, for instance, or other locations so that uh, we can find one resting place for right. the military um, service um, acknowledgement that needs to happen and, and find the best place that, according to our citizens. Mm -hmm. Great. Uh, and then a, a more technical question, I guess, where did the funding for Patton Parkway in particular come from? Was it paid for by the city or a combination of public and private funds? It was co combination as well. So I believe that Patton Parkway was a little bit more than 50-50 um, that um, Miller Park was. I uh, believe that it was 60% um, public funds and 40% uh, private funds. And that's been a hallmark of Chattanooga, you know, it's right. been a, a, um, sort of just this uh, wonderful sense of being that, you know, our community gifts, um, our, our citizens, um, these wonderful public spaces year after year, and we seem to do it without question that, mm -hmm. you know, the city does its part and then private citizens step up to match that with donations. Right. Um, we're really fortunate in that regard, I believe. So I want to move on to a couple other projects that I know you all have been working on. Um, there's the South Broad concept plan. Could you tell me more about that? Absolutely. Um, when I first came to the Chenna Design Studio in 2017, I was, I was hearing um, a lot of uh, different conversations about the South Broad District. And this is the district that lies just south of US 24 um, and right between 
24 in Chattanooga Creek mm-hmm. and includes the the former U.S. Uh, pipe and Wheeling Foundry site and includes um, uh, a neighborhood that's either referred to as Hooterville or Southside Gardens and it also includes the Howard High School campus. Um, just hearing different types of activities going on in each one of those very large kind of footprints mm-hmm. of Southside Gardens and um, I just ask the question of the folks that we were talking to that had uh, different interests in those areas. Of, what if what if we all got together and created one bigger district cohesive plan? Would that benefit you? How how could that help you? How could it help to have um, an engagement process that really kind of dug into what are the larger ideas that right. need to be addressed? And so uh, we launched on a process. Um, we uh, we sought another um, urban design help. And, um, and the facilitation of the process. So we hired a group out of Nashville called Common Ground, mm-hmm. and um, they helped us to facilitate and prepare a plan for the South Broad District. It happened over a series of workshops and charrettes that were held at different locations, primarily at uh, Calvary Chapel. Um, hundreds, hundreds of residents participated. We had hundreds of stakeholder uh, interviews, and you know, over a course of about eight to 10 months, crafted a plan that kind of set, set out some, some really important um, connectivity values, um, placemaking values, uh, and, and also uh, goals and aspirations for the type of housing uh, that should be built over time. Mm-hmm. You know, most of the Southside Gardens area right now has been vacant or um, uh, there are very few homes and, and dwellings left in the neighborhood, right. but there are dwellings. And so the question is how can we be how can we infill that community and be compatible with the homes that are there? And mm-hmm. how can we build a strategy that allows for the affordability that's occurring naturally in the neighborhood to continue to occur? Mm-hmm. And, um, so one of the strategies that we launched on and asked uh, for city funding on is 26th Street. 26th Street is an east-west connector that, um, that today, as a street, connects the front door of Howard to the foundry site. Mm-hmm. And um, so I'm, I'm really pleased to say that um, that Erskine Oglesby, our former council, council member, and Mayor Burke administration uh, dedicated a million dollars in the general capital fund to design and improve 26th Street. And 26th Street on the north side of it right now has an 11-foot-wide shared-use path. Mm-hmm. So it's basically like a, a greenway or a river walk. Right. And yeah, that's it, about the same width right. as the river walk. That's right. And it connects uh, Market Street to Broad Street right now, but it has a, a longer goal of connecting to the river walk on the foundry site right the i guess the chestnut street right trailhead right. yeah that right. sounds awesome so that's the first wave of public improvements and i think you're going to see a lot more private improvements over the next couple of years mm-hmm. because of that and it's, you know really when the public sector leads with high quality investment like that the private sector typically follows and so where does the rest of that project stand i guess i guess scope wise i mean uh looking through kind of the design charrette document you know, there's ideas about moving uh, the Lookout Stadium over to the Wheel and Foundry site. There's all these ideas about different, you know, possibilities for all these different areas. Uh, you know, I saw a little sliver of riverfront that looked like it had been set aside for kind of residential townhomes like you see over by Cameron Harbor and like all these big ideas um, as well as, you know, changes to Broad Street and other streets to, to make them more, you know, pedestrian and cyclist friendly and, and make them feel more complete. Um, and all of this is all very conceptual. So what is the next step to take this and make it reality? Where kind of does the project currently stand in that regard? Um, so you're going to see, I think, in the coming years, uh, the next two years, uh, significant private uh, investment mm-hmm. within within the Southside Gardens area, within the Hooterville area um, proper, and um, there there are several housing uh, projects planned for blocks, infill housing projects planned for blocks in that area, mm-hmm. um, and so that's really where things are going to start. I understand that um, the foundry site will more than likely have um, several of its core blocks uh, developed on in the com- coming years as well. Right. Lookouts question mark. I mean, I think mm-hmm. I think. Um, the pandemic has really kind of caused a, a pause, if you will, in right. the whole planning process of relocation or not. And and then, if, if you recall, last year, the, the, the major leagues um, talking about shuttering several minor leagues. Teams, right. There's just been a lot of distraction on um, the possibility of relocation and what that means for the team. Mm-hmm. Um, 
but yeah, we, we continue to work on and, and leverage the connectivity pieces. We're going to continue to be um, involved in the planning of and the, the long-term uh, planning of the Harris Johnson Park, which is there. Mm-hmm. It's a great uh, public asset directly across from Howard High School. Um, and we're con- going to continue to keep our eyes on the, um, the changes that are going to happen according to uh, TDOT's improvement of 20, US 24 um, and what happens when those two cloverleafs go away. Right, what happens that land? That's a lot exactly. of potential right there. Exactly. Yep. And so just to kind of be the institutional knowledge, if you will, for how that plan suggests, you know, that that should go through a disposition process and mm-hmm. be converted back into good public benefit land, whether that's either through public housing or we need to kind of determine that. And so it's just like any other large plan um, that has several broad and bold goals, you kind of have to work on it block by block. Right, right. And, and so that's what you're going to see over the next few years. One, one question I've got, this is getting kind of in the weeds, so I, I don't want to spend too much time on it, but I, I do want to ask, you know, working, talking with like the, the Chattanooga-Hamilton County Regional Planning Agency, they have broader area plans for kind of each neighborhood that end up getting enshrined in s- semi-legal status as the overarching design document for you know zoning changes and things like that if somebody comes to the city council with a zoning rezoning request and they can point to the rpa's overall plan as as kind of a justification for that if it meshes with what the rpa has said they want to see there uh, that kind of adds some extra weight to your rezoning request um, do these plans that the Chattanooga Design Studio takes part of, did they factor into that RPA process at all, or do they have their own kind of standing, or is this all still just kind of conceptual, uh, you know, showing both private and public kind of almost brainstorming ideas? Like, where, where does this stand on the level of just a conceptual plan for people to look at and get ideas to this is actually something that needs to be driving future decisions to, to get to this point? It's a, it's a little bit of both. The South Broad District Plan is a little bit of both. I'll say that in um, March of 2018, I think, it, I, think I have my dates right, the um, City Council adopted the South Broad District Plan and within the plan, there is a framework plan recommendation, which actually is color-coded by blocks mm-hmm. and says this block is ideally fit for two- to three-story multifamily. Right. It, so it's very specific in its recommendations right. and it can be very useful in a rezoning to fit what the recommendations of the South Broad District Plan are. It can right. actually be very right. beneficial. But it is also aspirational mm-hmm. because um, it, it, it says... Here could be the benefits if the lookouts make a business decision to right. move into the right. South Broad. Yeah, there's plan. some things you, you, if, you just can't control. That's exactly yeah. right. And if they do, here are the here are the things to keep in mind for right. if that business decision is acted upon. Right. Or uh, what? Uh, there are even recommendations about big box retail. What if uh, there becomes a market for um, one of these mid-sized targets mm-hmm. that comes into? Uh, the area. Here's how that might fit and best fit in site plan in an urbanistic uh, framework, right. and create a public realm that's high quality in this thing. So right. It's a little bit of both. Yeah, that's interesting though. That was it was adopted by the city council, so there is that kind of impetus for if if a private partner wants to come on board and do something in line with that plan, then they have a little bit more ammunition to say, hey, this is why you should approve this plan as opposed to another plan that doesn't fit this vision that's right um that's really interesting um so i want to i want to move on and talk about another project uh, a much bigger project a much newer project the the west side redevelopment uh could you tell our listeners a little bit more about that project kind of broadly speaking and where y'all in, in that process sure thank you it's uh the west side evolves planning process it really began in about 2019 for us as a conversation now now, keep in mind, you know, our, our year-round internship program um, uh, focused on the West Side in 2018. So our summer internship program uh, built relationships because we had three young uh, designers from uh, area schools going over and talking with Charlie Newton and mm-hmm. talking with folks at uh, Chandler's uh, and, uh, and uh, 
uh, Newton Child Care Center and, and meeting with residents on their porches. Um, so we had already started to relationship build in that way um, through the, the City Institute side of our organization. Um, in 2019, we were visited by the Housing Authority, and uh, the Development Director and the Executive Director, uh, Betsy McCright, asked and said, um, we understand you, you, you all do planning and urban design, and, and we think we need some, some sort of type, uh, urban design process to help us um, long-term plan for College Hill Courts. Mm-hmm. And they, they, during that meeting, they very clearly outlined um, that uh, College Hill Courts is a distressed housing asset at its age. It's 80 years old. It's the oldest public housing we have in Chattanooga. Mm-hmm. Um, it has passed that place. It's called distress because it's past the place where um, improvements will now cost more than it would cost to build a new housing unit. Right. Um, and that's, it's a HUD term, but now it's a distressed housing asset. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and, you know, we, we internally wrestled with it by the board. <laughs> I mean, quite, quite uh, honestly, we, we internally wrestled with what does that mean? Do we do projects for just one parcel? What does it mean to work on a public housing site? Mm-hmm. How can we best do this? Are we, are we, are we really like the right fit as an organization? And, you know, ultimately our answer to the Housing Authority was that we need to first, A, yes, we'd love to help you out. But the fate of College Hill Courts and the future of College Hill Courts really relies on the broader district right. um, in a much larger sense. And so we think that as a planning process, we need to really take on and go out to the boundary streets that surround the streets because... Um, because all of the housing within the within that part of the area that called the West Side is really challenged with connectivity issues. It's challenged right. with isolation. Yeah, um, and just just for our listeners, uh, so this area College Hill Courts is on Main Street, kind of at the corner of Main Street and Riverfront, correct? Yes. And then the broader study area that you're talking about, that's kind of played by these connectivity issues, is is bordered by 27. Main Street, Riverfront Parkway, and MLK. Exactly. So it's that kind of big, I mean, it's much bigger than a city block. It's it's probably, I don't know, you probably might know the number off the top of your head, but I'd guess 80 acres. Yes, our, our, that footprint is 120 acres. And an inter- interesting factoid about it is uh, it, has a, it currently has 1,500 housing units in it. Mm-hmm. So if you do that, just broad density swath, mm-hmm. it looks like a very densely populated area. But if you just do the land mass, 120 acres, 1,500 housing units, right. it's about what is that, 12, 12 and a half dwelling units an acre, yeah, which is kind of like a, a subdivision in, you know, in, in, in the suburbs, mm-hmm. a single-family subdivision. And so um, it's things like that in what, what we do for a living that kind of tell us why there's, um, there's not very, very frequent transit service, why there's not necessarily um, a grocery store right in the heart of the community or right. you know, something that's... Uh, it's retail facing like barbershops and, and heavy retail mm-hmm. um, because there might not be the overall density the aggregate aggregate density um, to support right needs. right but yeah so um, back to the why I, I mean I, I think that ultimately we felt like our organization if we joined with the city of Chattanooga and the housing authority um, in a in an institutional partnership if you will that that we would facilitate a planning process that could be really inclusive um, that could challenge ourselves to do planning processes completely differently um, and um, and so yeah we started to uh, fundraise to do the same thing that I mentioned earlier is find the national expertise in this realm that um, a, a planning and urban design uh, firm who, who maybe has worked in another community that's very similar to the west side mm-hmm. an urban renewal type uh, formed community that can help us uh, get into the team and make sure um, that they bring their expertise and their, their planning um, purpose. But the first thing we did out of the gate in March of 2020, we uh, instituted a, a community advisory group. And so this group, uh, you know, went, it's about 25 folks, current residents, former residents, uh, institutional leaders, people that have ties to the West Side, whether it be business-wise or owner property. Um, and we brought that group together and kind of clearly defined and clarified some broad goals for for the planning process before it ever began the planning process, which are um, what would it mean to do a process that identified a one-for-one replacement of the public housing that's there. If, if we have to replace College Hill Courts units today, um, how can we find a way that 
those units are replaced one for one. That's mm-hmm. 490 units, would be 490 units in the future. Um, we also know that there's a waiting list for most of the housing in the area, and so that de- that identifies straight out of the gate a demand for right. affordable housing. And right. So how can, we, well, how can we increase the affordable housing that's on the site? And what I mean by that is the workforce type affordable housing. This is, these are the types of units that, um, that um, most of the working population needs today in Chattanooga. And then uh, on top of that, how can we find ways that we can infuse a market rate mix into the community so that there are more chances for viable commercial activity, um, that we are reducing the concentration of poverty uh, within the district mm-hmm. uh, in, in incremental ways? Um, and then, yeah, how can we create a plan that um, is large and bold enough to be understood as broad priorities but then can be implemented in stages block by block instead of the way it was done years ago right and one big mag, big massive uh, demolition and rebuild right so where does that stand uh, right now in terms of are you still in the planning process or, or even earlier in the community engagement process and and what is the timeline like to get to a point where you know maybe there's ready something ready to present back to CHA and say hey this is what we think y'all should do with this this property uh, excellent question we um it's been an unbelievable journey since march 2020 um we pulled together that community advisory group and i always mention to everybody just to get it in, in your mind i think i think COVID time has kind of changed time and space for many people and so <laughs> yeah so we had that beautiful meeting it was a lunch at the yfd center in the west side um it was lovely everyone was so fired up and I went home that night and watched Sports Center, and the NBA announced that they had closed their season. And so I, I, I just remember being re- very reflective personally about what in the world does it mean to do a planning process where the NBA is closing their season? We don't have the ability to gather. And um, so I'll just say that yeah. it's it's just been a wonderful journey. I've been sharing that widely as as widely as I can because this team never stopped. We challenge ourselves instead of you know, whatever the term is, pivot, what, we just challenged ourselves to buckle down and find ways to meet people where they were. And I think that that caused this process to be even more inclusive than what we, in, what we had originally intended. Uh, for instance, the Chattanooga Housing Authority paid residents stipends who were willing and able and, and available to do surveys. And Tech Goes Home, Chattanooga, gave residents tablets in their hands. So we were able to start this process with a very extensive survey. It took you about 35 minutes. If you had kids, it took you about 45 minutes. Um, Residents standing on porches with their neighbors, surveying their neighbors, and being paid to do it. And um, I believe that, you know, that sensibility just carried through this entire process. That was the fall of 2020. Um, And we did it in favorable weather when it was fairly nice outside. Um, team of about 10 uh, residents and uh, housing authority employees and studio uh, employees all deployed themselves over a series of one and a half, two months to do yeah. an extensive survey so we could find out exactly what's happening on the ground and with in people's lives. Right. And then create a, create a framework for workshops that dug deeper into those, those discovery items, if you will. Like, for instance, we discovered that 35% of the population living in the district today are faced with some sort of mobility challenge. And so that begs the question, um, and it kind of almost identifies straight away a lot of what people see in the community. You see someone on a, an electrified scooter trying to cross Emil King Boulevard, which is you know, today has six <laughs> lanes, you know. Yeah. And um, I think a lot of prayers are said that we, we're making um, the, the right strides for for people that are mobility challenged. And we also found out that when Bueller's closed in 2015, Bueller's Market on Market Street, that um, this this census tract became a food desert mm-hmm. um, immediately overnight, and that uh, people are challenged to get just basic needs met like that. Right. You gotta go to St. Elmo. If you, if you don't have a car, you're on public transit to get, you gotta transfer to get to St. Elmo. Yeah. It's a two hour trip yeah. to get groceries. And if you miss the bus, it's, a, it's longer <laughs> than that. That's an all-day um, trip. Yeah. And so it's very telling. The survey and the time on the porches and the time that we spent with folks and having um, residents like Sharon Drag, who we hired as a community engagement fellow for the Chattanooga Design Studio, she was paid um, 
to, to do what she loves to do, which is um, organize and strategize with her, with, uh, her neighbors um, to, to improve her community. And so um, that allowed us to dig in deeper and to really find out uh, where, where the planning process needed to, um, to, to make final recommendations. So that's to answer your question more briefly, that's where we are. We had, um, we promised the residents that um, as, as we had the workshop in, in the spring that were virtual and in person, they were hybrid, we had mm-hmm. limited in person and virtual. We had people f- uh, do call-ins. Uh, we distributed about a thousand, we called them workshops in a book, a thousand uh, workshops in a book to people's doorsteps so that they couldn't either A, be on phone or B, be in the gymnasium at College Hill or on Zoom, that they could just fill it out and drop it in a box and give it to yeah. us. So, you know, just trying to find ways, every single way to get to folks. And, uh, you know, we promised residents when we said at the workshops that you're going to be here, you're not going to hear about this in the paper, you're going to hear about it first. Um, we're going to share the final recommendations with you first so that we know that we got it right. Um, and so we closed Grove Street on uh, July 27th, and we had a block party, and we shared all of the initial uh, plan ideas, um, how that plan could get phased, um, the build first strategy, um, which is it's a very clear and deliberate strategy to build on city land, city open land first, uh, first new housing being built mm-hmm. on open space mm-hmm. so that the blocks can phase right. and someone at College Hill can wake up and look out their window and see new housing and say, hey, right. I might want to move across the street because they have central air conditioning and and um, and I don't have, well, won't have the plumbing problems that I have and right. things like that. You know? right. so, um, so yeah, uh, all those strategies were discussed and uh, we had a great time and now we're in the process of setting up the implementation strategy. And I'm really, really so pleased to say that um, the support, the response has been overwhelming and we're about to start this fall on a process, an architectural design process for one of the strategies, which is the preservation and the adaptive reuse of the James A. Henry School in the community. It's mm-hmm. a historic elementary school with a park right next to it. It's, it's been identified and within the plan as a, a community hub, if you will. Think of it as uh, what Mayor Kelly's office right now is calling community centers, or mm-hmm. formerly known as youth and family development recreation centers. Um, but this needs to do more than that in this community. This needs to provide uh, spaces for uh, educational attainment, um, early childhood education, uh, yes, recreational opportunities, splash youth arts, the ability to continue Ch- Charlie's great work with the youth there. Um, yeah, and, and so on and so forth. And so we're going to start that programming process with residents. We have a resident yeah. team again on the uh, uh, design process. And uh, I'm, I'm really pleased to say that it's, uh, it's, it's just a great place for this for um, the planning process to start implementation because that's that's a part of the community that, if improved, will benefit everybody. Right. That's, that's really in- just incredible. Um, that sounds like a much more proactive community input process than I mean than anything I've heard about honestly just in terms of of going out and providing so many different ways and not only providing different ways to to provide input providing the resources needed you know like you said tech goes home putting tablets in people's hands say here's this survey here's how you fill it out Uh, very different from uh, public input process where it's you know hey here's a, a meeting at six o'clock in the afternoon and if you can't make it sorry there's another one at six o'clock in the afternoon if you work afternoon shift well good yeah. luck yeah it's hard, uh, to, hard to get the word out sometimes yeah you know and no, uh, it's people uh, in general are time poor mm-hmm. and um, I believe I believe it's time to start you know given given thanks in a greater way for people's time and, and their attention to their community, you mm-hmm. know, which is in a way, in a, in a really, really good way, a way of being an expert, you know. It, so many times you find that, you know, in a planning profession has one expertise, but a lived experience is another expertise. And right. showing grace and, and um, understanding to that is really what's needed. Um, and I find, I find that at least through this process, our entire team uh, reached into themselves to do that, our entire team. And this is a group, a team of, you know, uh, 20, 30 professionals from, you know, seven different uh, firms. Mm-hmm. And um, I'm really proud of them. I'm also proud to say that our community showed up to give us the support, financial and otherwise, to go hire, I think at the time, I think we're up to six local artists 
to also have more intensive mm-hmm. dialogue with uh, folks, folks like Erica Roberts, the creative strategist who challenged us to continue to think about how we get deeper into the stories of people's lives, you know, and we would have never, had it not been for Erica Roberts, we would have never found out about Grace the Tree, which is about a 60-year-old oak tree that's beloved by the community and needs to be saved. Um, we would have never found out about the importance of the flagpole. I mean, if you go there today, it is, it's sort of in disrepair. You wouldn't mm-hmm. think that this community loves that as its ceremonial gathering spot. Um, but they, the neighbors do, and they recognize it as a place of legacy and history and heritage. Um, yeah, and on and on and on. And, um, and so, yeah, it's not just about the sexy planning moves a lot of times it's more about how the relationships can continue to foster exactly what we as humans are sort of known and we know what to do we we're not hardwired to really think about these broad big challenges citywide challenges like you name it stormwater or uh, there, there there are very large challenges uh, we're really hardwired to kind of sit around the fire and think about who's whose hut needs to be thatched, whose roof needs to be thatched tomorrow, yeah. and go get that done tomorrow, and then work on the next block, and then work on the next block. Um, and that's sort of the sensibility, I think, that came out of the West Side planning process. It's good to have a big, broad strategy, but breaking down those ideas yeah. into the blocks. You need people on the ground who know what each block looks like and, yeah. and live it. Yeah, That's awesome. Um, I, I want to zoom out again a little bit and talk more broadly again about the Chattanooga Design Studio. And, you know, we've talked about these three different projects, Patton Parkway, West Side, South Broad, um, all of which have a, a very public component to them. Uh, you know, Patton Parkway being a public street, West Side being mostly public housing owned by the Chattanooga Housing Authority. And then the South Broad plan is probably the, has the most like private partnership involved in that in terms of development potential. Um, but for the most part, these are all very public facing projects. And, and I'm curious if the Chattanooga Design Studio does any consulting work for private entities uh, has, as a private developer come to y'all and said, you know, how can my development mesh with the other things that you're doing and, and provide any consulting services in that respect? The, answer, the short answer is yes. From time to time, uh, we have historic relationships where um, developers know that if they if they come to us early and early enough in the thinking, we can put together some principles and some diagrams about mm-hmm. the place in which um, they, they want to see change um, that can be really beneficial and, and some thinking that uh, might be a little bit different than um, they would traditionally get from a firm and hiring a firm and asking a question, how many units can I get on the site? Right. <laughs> um, because, yeah, because we... I think our intention and our focus is is on public life, and we should be able to. Um, I'd love I'd love for more uh, private sector firms to visit us earlier, and for more f- um, private sector uh, interventions to think of us as a resource, um, as an advocate for their project. Mm-hmm. Because we want uh, it's it's not often said, but we want their project to be successful, and for their project to make them financially successful, and to to benefit um, the people that live in, whether they're building housing or working in a, an office environment or doing whatever it is in buildings, because that's, that's what makes um, cities enriched. It's what uh, provides the diversity that's needed uh, mm-hmm. to, to really um, make them rewarding places. Um, and it, it also, I think, bolsters, I think, this sensibility about a public life that's so much more important now than, than ever. I think we haven't learned anything about what we've all been through the past couple of years, you know, our public life, the time that we spend outside of our cars, outside of our houses, outside of our offices together is so important. It's so important. It's so important that we keep attention to it and that, that we make private sector investments that reinforce it, that don't detract from it, that don't extract from it, but reinforce it. Right. And that's how we, that's how we wind up with an incredible city. And the places that y'all, that, that, that everyone talks about that they love, that they go and visit, they have that recipe. Mm-hmm. <laughs> they have that recipe. Um, they might be European cities. They might be cities um, elsewhere in the United States. And so the question is, 
why go visit him? Why can't why can't we go build that right? Here? Right. Yeah. Build it here. You know, right in your own backyard. Um, that's good to know because I feel like the the Chattanooga Design Studio, in my own experience, uh, can sometimes feel like uh, maybe that that's not advertised that that there is work done with private entities and that that's a partnership that has the possibility to exist. Um, so that that's a really good thing to know. I appreciate you bringing it up. It's um, invitations a word that we don't take lightly, and we always kind of question the invitation mm-hmm. and. Um, and make, making sure that because this is this, this is important work, and sometimes it's um, it's not easy to talk about, and and, so, and sometimes confrontational, and it might be um, uh, you know so so anyway, I just wanted to mention that we all we always take that word to to um, to its greatest importance when mm-hmm. we're considering ourselves being involved in some mm-hmm. invitation. So I want to move on and talk a little bit about. Um, I guess funding sources for the Chattanooga Design Studio. How how do y'all find the money to to do all these different design projects and conceptual plans and public outreach? I mean, it's a pretty decent sized staff and and lots of production work goes into this. I mean, the, the renderings that y'all have are amazing if you look on the website. So, you know, where does that come from? Is that all fundraising or is it grants or a combination? It's a combination. Uh, we're very fortunate and very grateful right now. Um, you know, at, at our inception, um, the three very large foundations gave uh, Christian Rushing and the uh, initial studio what they called ramp-up funding. And so three years of stable funding that they could just just really focus on the important things, which is putting together an organization, um, declaring the values proposition, finding out where the values proposition needs to be in its right. barometer. Um, and that was an incredibly, I think, fortunate uh, situation for the for the community for the design studio to launch it within, um, because it allowed a, a little bit more relaxed, like not going and finding money all of the time as uh, to occupy your time, but finding out more about what the the organization need to be within this community. And so, when I came here in 2017, I came into a very healthy place. Um, I came into uh, an organization that Christian had really spent, uh, Christian Rushing had spent quite a bit of time putting together rock-solid foundation um, and rock-solid relationships with that I could build upon. And so um, in 2019, we received our first agency funding from the city of Chattanooga through the Burke administration. Very fortunate to have received that funding. And, um, and it was in that sense that um, this is a consultancy that's very necessary, just like the planning department in, in the city, um, but in a more constructive public space way, mm-hmm. you know. And um, and we've been able to match that with um, large foundation funding year over year. Um, last year, in 2020, we had our first fundraiser to explore the idea of what it would be like to have sponsorships and have a yearly... Um, a yearly celebration of our work in the built environment and, mm-hmm. and find out how we can all collaborate better and um, work together smarter to do that work. Uh, we called it City Celebration. We held it um, at Chattanooga Whiskey. And, and we did okay. We did really well in raising funds for it. We've been challenged to do that again. That was an in-person event. Mm-hmm. It happened the week. It happened uh, September or March 13th. And so um, we're, we're exploring other opportunities to, um, to raise our funds on our own internally. But right now, primarily, uh, the large funds that operate our day-to-day activities come from our, our agency appropriation of the city of Chattanooga, the Lindhurst Foundation, and the Binwin Foundation. And we're very, as I said, we're very fortunate and grateful for those relationships and the trust that's uh, bestowed upon us, really, right. I think, uh, to give us that significant funding to do the work that we do. And then for individual citizens to get involved, uh, you mentioned earlier on the, the civic event that happens. How often does that happen? And, and what kind of speakers do you all bring in? And, and kind of what's on the calendar for, for that event? And how did that get started even? you know, Where did the idea come from for these speakers to come in and, and tell people about urban design and all these other things? Another uh, story, I'm super grateful to um, the call. I, I, Bruz Clark called, um, I believe I was here, I was in my second week at the studio, and he called and said, um, would, it, would it be beneficial for the studio to have 
a speaker series that was an edu- urban design educational program and I said absolutely and he said would you be would you entertain a grant that um, was was in honor of Rob Taylor who was the first urban design employee in the city of Chattanooga at the at our former studio called uh, the Riverfront Downtown Planning and Design Center and um, I said absolutely let's let's figure out how to get that done and um, never look back really it's been a quarterly speaker series since that inception since that, that initial grant and that initial um, um, gift and um, we've been able to bring uh, folks from say example uh, Ryan Gravel who was uh, one of the key designers and um, and uh, visionaries behind the Beltline in Atlanta uh, to Akima Price who's been working in Anacostia Park in Washington, D.C. Uh, with community engagements and deeper strategies to get at equity and inclusion in, in Anacostia um, for years, um, and, and on and on. And bringing leaders, as I said earlier, you know, Civic's quarterly speaker series, we, we try to uh, keep it at fairly um, uh, regular quarterly basis, um, and um, we, we try to bring folks uh, that are doing work that's similar to activities that are going on in Chattanooga mm-hmm. so that we could um, educate ourselves about what other communities are doing. It's always good to kind of uh, pop your head up every once in a while outside of your work and look at somebody else's work and, and maybe think about how you might challenge yourself in ways that they're challenging themselves or, or even just hear about things that failed from, from their viewpoint. And um, that's really rewarding. It's been, Civic's been a unbelievably rewarding program for us. Uh, we have uh, September 30th, we have um, Rhonda Chapman with the Trust for Public Lands. She's the Director of Equity and Inclusion for the Trust for Public Lands. She's going to join us and um, looking forward to that. It's another in-person event. Great. Well, uh, where can citizens find out more about the work that you all do and, and kind of dig into all these different projects? We try our best, you know, we're small staff, we try our best to keep our website updated with our projects and programs and everything that we've got going on, and um, and that is uh, chattanoogastudio.com. And then uh, we have social media presence on both Instagram and Facebook. You can find us on Facebook. Great. Well, Eric Myers, thank you so much for your time. Thanks, it's been a real pleasure. It's been a pleasure. Appreciate you. I hope you've enjoyed this episode of Chattanooga Civics. Our music was written and recorded by Kevin McLeod. If you have any questions or feedback, please send me an email at chattanoogacivics at gmail.com. You can follow me on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at chatcivics, or visit the website chattanoogacivics.com. Thanks for listening.